Turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. A number of years ago, uh, my children came home, and uh, I was looking at their homework, and I noticed in one of, the, one of the questions or statements on the sheet of paper that uh, one of them was working on, it said something like this. The difference between faith and science is that science is based on fact, and faith is believing something you have no evidence to believe. And that, of course, is flat wrong. Um, we have faith, but just like faith, you exercised faith when you came in this building today, didn't you? you? You saw that seat, and you plopped down on that seat, and you trusted that that seat would hold you up. And it was based on evidence. You know how chairs are designed, don't you? And uh, by the way, you also have experiential evidence, many of you, because you've sat on those chairs many times before. It has been observed over time. And so um, faith, the kind of faith that we have as Christians is based on evidence. And we need to understand that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to understand that so that you can be convinced and come to faith in Christ. Uh, if you are a Christian, you need to understand that there is evidence for our faith so that you can share that evidence with other people and so that you can be confirmed in your faith as well. Uh, there are several types of evidence that uh, we see in Scripture. Uh, we see experiential evidence, such as the blind man who was healed by Jesus and uh, they're trying to get him to deny that Jesus has done this. And he says, well, one thing, he says, one th I don't know if he's an evil man or not. You, you're saying he is. He says, I know once I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> Pretty strong evidence. Once I was blind, but now I see. I, I, I've uh, seen the evidence in my own life of God's convicting and convincing work in my heart and I really believe that is the reason more than anything else that I came to faith in Jesus Christ God showed me my sin he showed me my need for Christ and that I was lost and that I needed to repent of my sin and put my trust in Jesus Christ and uh, but but that's not the evidence we're going to be talking about today today we're going to be talking about historical evidence Historical evidence, and historical evidence is a discipline. His, history is a discipline in the scholarly world, and there are certain things that historians look at to determine whether or not something has a good probability of being true. Uh, and, 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 of course, generally what they're looking for are witnesses such as documents or artifacts that show you something about the history and what took place during that historical setting. Uh, our evidence is given by an eyewitness. It is given uh, at the time of Jesus. Uh, and, and so it is very powerful evidence indeed. And evidence involving witnesses, evidence involving the fulfillment of Scripture. Uh, but uh, these things happened in history. Um, I don't have time to get into it, but Christianity is one of the most historically, it is the most historically uh, founded faith in the world. Um, and, and we could spend much time talking about that, but today I just want to focus on the historical evidence, that evidence that God has provided for us in his word that Jesus is alive. 
And uh, so the title of my message is Evidence for Jesus' Resurrection. We need to look at this, evaluate this, and put our trust in Jesus Christ. So look with me at verse 1. It says in, of John chapter 20, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in and saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, Why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. When it was the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be unto you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, receive, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven to them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, I, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless. But believe, Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So evidence for Jesus. What do we see? Well, first of all, we see his empty tomb. We see his empty tomb. If you look at verse 8, it says, The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. So the empty tomb is seen, first of all, by Mary and the women, because she uses the pronoun we, okay? Uh, seen by them, she runs and tells Peter and John, and they run to the tomb, and they see the empty tomb. Now, this is important because it needs to be established that Jesus is not in his tomb, right? Guess what? The Jews could have produced the body of Jesus Christ and killed Christianity. The Romans could have produced the body of Jesus and would have killed Christianity. Paul himself says, if the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is useless. But they couldn't produce the body because it wasn't there. John takes pains to establish each specific thing. Both the apostle John, the disciple Jesus loved, who knew the high priest. He is in the courtyard seeing the trials. He is there at the cross. After the disciples initially flee, he goes to the high priest first, and then he goes to the cross. And he's standing there right in front of the cross observing what is happening. Peter also is observing what is happening, right? Uh, he's out in the courtyard. He denies Jesus three times in the courtyard. And then he observes from afar. The women also observed the death of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are mentioned in chapter 19. They are witnesses to where Jesus' body was buried. Along with the women, as one of the other gospels tells us. Um, they bury the body of Jesus in Joseph's tomb, an unused tomb. So they're witnesses to the burial of Jesus. Now you have witnesses to the empty tomb. Now, uh, we've got a few people who aren't here today. Okay, We have evidence that they're not here. We may not know where they are, okay? but we know they're not here. Okay, So that's kind of the evidence we see. Well, Mary had a theory. They've taken his body somewhere else, probably the enemies of Jesus. She said, well, they've taken his body somewhere. And her first thought wasn't that he was risen. Her first thought was somebody stole the body. Matter of fact, she's so distraught and she's weeping. Jesus is standing behind her and, and she's speaking. She thinks he's the gardener and she's talking to him as the gardener. But, uh, you know, it, it takes her a while to adjust to the fact that Jesus is alive. But the evidence of the empty tomb is important. So, evidence for Jesus' resurrection, what is it? Well, first of all, John tells us of his empty tomb. And apparently that was enough to make the Apostle John believe that Jesus had risen. So, evidence for Jesus' re resurrection, what is it? John tells us about his empty tomb. Secondly, his scriptural prophecy. Verse 9. It says, they did not yet know the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. 
The scripture predicted it. I think of uh, Isaiah 52 uh, and, and where it says he, the Messiah, will be raised, lifted up, and highly exalted just as he suffered. And he begins to describe his suffering. Uh, he was wounded for our transgressions, chapter 53, and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. Describing in detail that and Psalm 22 of Jesus' crucifixion, but he says in Isaiah 53 that he would be made a guilt offering. In other words, he would die, predicted in the Old Testament. But it also says afterwards he will see the light of life. He will see his descendants. His spiritual descendants are you and me. Jesus would die. No guilt offerings were still alive after the offering was offered. Okay? It is assured death, but also resurrection. And Isaiah 52 says, hey, he, he, after he was raised, he was lifted up, he was highly exalted. Psalm 16, which is a psalm written by David. David's a picture of Christ in many cases. And, uh, and certain verses in the psalms will point forward. And obviously these verses do point forward uh, to the Messiah because they cannot refer to David. It says, you will not abandon your Holy One to the grave, to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. In other words, the decay of the body. You won't let your... Listen, I'm going to tell you, David has a tomb. David has decayed. But Jesus didn't decay. He was laid in a tomb, but he was risen from the dead. Jesus, by the way, predicted this, and he said, there'll be no sign. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. Um, there'll be no sign given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what happened to Jonah? He went in the belly of the fish. He went down. And listen, most of the time when you get in the belly of the fish, it's a death sentence. There have been a few people that have survived it, but not many. Jonah is preserved for three days in the belly of the fish. And then he is vomited on dry land. Now, God is using this episode in Jonah's life for a purpose to get him to go to Nineveh. But it is a perfect picture because guess what? Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish. He went down. He was raised up and vomited on the... So he becomes a picture of Jesus' resurrection. Um, listen, um, Jesus' resurrection is predicted in the Old Testament. And the disciples said, well, after Jesus was raised and he began to point these scriptures out to us, we realized, yes, indeed, the scripture predicts the Messiah's death and his resurrection. And we've seen it. <laughs> we've seen the fulfillment of prophecy. Right? So um, his scriptural prophecy becomes evidence for his resurrection, and it was fulfilled in historical details given by more than just the Apostle John that we're reading today, but given by Matthew, given by Mark, and possibly Aristus, uh, also given by Luke. 
these, uh, and other places in Scripture as well, but these are eyewitness testimony. And Luke actually does investigation. He's not an eyewitness. He does an investigation and interviews the eyewitnesses and gives their account. So these prophecies are fulfilled in history. So evidence for Jesus' resurrection. What is the evidence? First of all, his empty tomb. Secondly, his scriptural prophecy. Thirdly, his heavenly witnesses. Now, I realize if I told you that I had an angel, I don't know, you might believe me because I'm a preacher. And you say, well, my preachers, you know, they're kind of weird. They might experience something like that, you know. And, uh, but if I saw an angel and I said that this angel gave me this message, you might not really put a whole lot of stock in that, right? If you didn't know me. But I want to tell you something. God sends his heavenly messengers. And, and the gospel writers share different details about what these heavenly messengers did. Uh, but it is a universal witness of the early eyewitnesses that angels came and were present at the tomb. Now, you have the earthly eyewitnesses, which we'll talk about in a moment. But these heavenly eyewitnesses, I believe God just wanted to put his stamp of approval and the solemnness of this evidence to, to send his own messengers from heaven. To declare that Jesus was alive. And so the angels were, I, I kind of wonder if they had a smirk on, I don't know if angels smirk, but uh, I kind of imagine them doing that, you know. Uh, here's Mary, where have they taken my Lord, you know, and, and uh, he's standing right behind her. And she'll say, woman, why are you crying? Turn around, right? He's right there. So the angels give their witness and of course, uh, Matthew tells us they come down at the tomb and the, the soldiers that are guarding the tomb become like dead men. They pass out or, or, you know, something's going on there. I'm not sure exactly what. And then uh, they roll away the, the, the tomb, the stone from the tomb, so that the women can see that Jesus is already, already risen. The seal is broken by the angels to show that Jesus is not there. And so... Uh, the angels give this consistent witness, and I think this is God's way of saying, listen, I'm not just going to give you earthly witnesses. I'm going to give you heavenly witnesses at, to corroborate exactly what has happened in this case. And uh, so, great witness indeed. So, um, first of all, the evidence for his resurrection is his empty tomb, his scriptural prophecy, his heavenly witness, uh, fourthly, his human witnesses. His human witnesses. Uh, now, by the way, when you talk about human witnesses, um, one of the earliest books that was written was the book of 1 Corinthians, possibly the earliest. And there's a poem in that 15th chapter that describes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that would have been even closer. Most scholars believe written just a couple of months after Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, so this is the earliest witness. Uh, and he says there's over 500 witnesses, probably at the ascension of Jesus. It's debated exactly. Uh, Jesus ministered for, for about a month after his resurrection before ascending to heaven. So, uh, but but uh, 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses saw him. Uh, that's impressive evidence. 
I mean, if you go to court today uh, and you're accused of a crime, they may just convict you without a witness. Or perhaps they have one witness, one eyewitness. Listen, I want to tell you, we've got strong evidence, 500 witnesses. Why don't the gospel writers mention the 500 witnesses? I believe because they wanted the absolute strongest witnesses that they could present. And the strongest witnesses weren't the 500. The 500 saw him, but the disciples and Mary Magdalene and these ladies that knew Jesus well were the best eyewitnesses you could possibly have. You see... A human eyewitness understands things if they know the person. It, say, say somebody in your family, right? Your family knows your personality, right? They know, we, we probably, here at church, we know your personality to a certain degree. But your family really knows your personality. And they see what you look like all the time, right? They know your mannerisms. They know when, you're, you, know, when you tend to get in a bad mood or when you don't. Uh, they know what your personality is like. They know what kind of jokes. You know, my, my kids tell me I tell dad jokes. Uh, they know what kind of jokes you tell. I mean, they know it all. They see and observe year after year after year what you are like. Your closest friends also observe these things, right? Those with whom you are yourself. And so... The gospel writers present these closest witnesses because they are the ones that know Jesus the best. And he comes to, to Mary, and he's, she's questioning him like he's the gardener. So finally he says to her, Mary. And it clicks. She recognized that most believe that he, she was weeping so much, she, you know, so, uh, so emotionally distraught, she's not paying attention. Jesus speaks to her, and she recognizes his voice. Have you ever seen somebody that looked like someone else? People say, well, everybody's got a double. But if you go talk to them, guess what? Their voice sounds different. Right? they got a different personality. They probably don't weigh the same. Okay? There's quite a few differences when you get up close and personal. She recognizes his voice, and she turns around and she says, Ravana! And she gets up and he has to, like, chill out, Mary. I've not yet uh, ascended. There's plenty of time uh, for you to see me. Uh, you know, and uh, I've, got to, I've got to go do these things. And, uh, but, but she's just overjoyed. She recognizes his voice and she is just delighted. And by the way, once she saw Jesus and heard Jesus, and related to him for a short time. There was no question in her mind. She gave up her, her theory about them still in the body of Jesus. Because she had seen him. Right? So here you have an eyewitness. And she was very close to Jesus. Because she was one of the women who traveled around with Jesus. And she supported his ministry financially. Uh, it, he was the one who led her to Christ. And delivered her from seven demons. I, wow. And so uh, she knew Jesus. She recognized his voice. She'd talked with him many times. And instantaneously, she is overjoyed. So, she is an eyewitness that John mentions here. Um, then you see the disciples. Uh, it, it, the verse 20 says, 
so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. <laughs> they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Okay? So uh, Thomas, he says, hey, I'm not going to believe in, in him. I won't believe unless I put my finger into his hands or my hand into his side. I will not believe. He sees Jesus, and some believe he, he actually, we do know the disciples touched Jesus from other scriptures. They, uh, John and John, 1 John uh, 1, he says, whom our hands have touched. Okay, so they did physically touch Jesus. Some believe that Thomas didn't even wait to touch him. He said, my Lord and my God. We're not, we're not sure. The scripture doesn't tell us, but Thomas is convinced. He sees the Lord. Now, these are the men that were Jesus' disciples. They traveled with him. Probably many nights slept under the stars with Jesus. They were camping out as they traveled from place to place around Israel. They knew him. They were close friends with Jesus. So when they saw him, they rejoiced. Now, if you're not sure, you're not rejoicing, right? Uh, you're, you're, I'm not sure that's... Uh, y'all remember the Terminator movies? I, I recorded some of those off of TV uh, years ago. And there was this one, uh, Terminator 2. And there's this, there's this really cool android, uh, if you like science fiction, uh, and they send them from the future to kill human beings who become their political enemies later on. And so they've sent this, this thing back, and whatever it touches, it can become. And so um, John Connor is the one they're trying to kill, and, and his, his parents, uh, they call his parents on the phone, and uh, the Terminator has killed his parents but has taken the form of his mother. He talks just like her, but something seems just a little off. So the other Terminator, which is a long story, which is with John Connor and is protecting him, changes his voice to where he sounds like John Connor, and he says, uh, hey, where's Ralphie? Well, Ralphie's fine. Ra Ralphie's fine. Come on home. And the other Terminator turns around and says, your parents are dead. Why? Because there was no dog named Ralphie. Okay, uh, so uh, he recognized, he asked a question, something just kind of didn't quite seem right. And he asked a question to verify who, who is this and determine that it was not the person. But see, somebody who knows someone very well becomes a great witness in a case like this. So his human witnesses which were very, very strong evidence. So evidence for Jesus' resurrection, his empty tomb, his scriptural prophecy, his heavenly witnesses, his human witnesses. Next, his physical characteristics. His physical characteristics. I've already mentioned to you, Mary recognizes his voice. Look in verse 20. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, I like to, to watch crime dramas, and in these crime dramas, a lot of times the medical examiner will visit the scene, right? And as they examine the body, sometimes they will notice a tattoo, or they will see a scar, right? And uh, they will begin to use Now they've, they've gotten computerized, and so they'll take a picture of it, and they'll put it on a, 
a search engine, and, and it'll search for any, anybody who's been incarcerated with these characteristics. And, it, and a lot of times, by these physical markers, they will identify the person, and they can make a definitive ID of the body. Uh, Jesus shows his physical characteristics to them. They hear his voice. He says, here, look at my hands and my side. Now, Peter had seen it from a distance, and the women had seen it from a distance. John had seen it up close and personal. He was right there at the cross. He saw where they drove those nails in Jesus' hands. He saw the soldier pierce his side to see if he was dead and the blood and the water that had flown out that proved he was dead uh, medically, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. But uh, uh, John had observed all this. He recognized the scars. He says, yes, this is Jesus. The same scars, the same voice, the same appearance, this is Jesus. So his physical characteristics. Listen, if that's enough evidence for a medical examiner and for a court of law, shouldn't it be enough evidence for you? So, evidence for Jesus' resurrection, his empty tomb, his scriptural prophecy, his heavenly witnesses, his human witnesses, his physical characteristics, next his compassionate ministry. Uh, in verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. Now, we don't, we don't know the inflection that he used, but she instantaneously, I think he had to put some kind of emphasis in the voice so that she would realize in her hysterical state that it was him. And, but, but the compassion and the patience uh, that he shows with her and uh, and then, if you look in verse 19, the doors were locked. Disciples were meeting together. The doors were locked for, because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Shalom. Peace. Well-being be with you. Quit, quit being afraid. I'm with you. I'm here. And he says this three times in this passage. Peace be with you. He recommissions them to ministry. Um, he, he has the same supernatural knowledge that he's always had, right? Thomas is not there for whatever reason. And so he hears what Thomas is saying, even though he's not present. And he knows that Thomas has said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my finger into his hands and my hand into his side. And just like he's always done in his compassion and his mercy, he reaches out and he appears again. And he says, here, Thomas, see the wounds. <laughs> Put your finger here. Put your hand in my side. Don't be doubting, but believe. The same compassionate ministry. Listen, if you know someone's personality and you know what they're like, you recognize that personality, don't you? They recognized Jesus' ministry. They saw how he interacted with people, and they knew it was him. This is who our Savior is. This is not some imposter. 
This is our master. Finally, I want you to see the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. His scriptural prophecy, his heavenly witnesses, uh, his empty tomb, his human witnesses, his physical characteristics, his compassionate ministry, his disciples' joy. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Sometimes you'll have somebody compare Jesus' resurrection to an Elvis sighting, which I always find amusing. Uh, you've seen those grainy pictures of Elvis entering the mall or, uh, uh, you know, uh, and people say, well, Elvis is alive, you know. Um, well, I, you know, I've got no dog in the hunt as far as that issue goes, but the evidence is quite different. If you see somebody from a distance, you've got questions, right? Is this really him? Um, Thomas obviously had questions. The other disciples were telling him Jesus is alive. He said, I don't believe it. He said, I'm not going to believe it unless this happens. Uh, Mary, her first instinct wasn't to believe, right? Her first instinct was somebody stole the body. But she sees Jesus. And they don't see him from a distance. They're not given a grainy picture of Jesus entering the mall. They see him up close and personal. They ask him questions. They interact with him. They observe with him. And they are fully convinced. Listen, that's why you have joy. If you've got questions, if you're dealing with, you know, something's not right here, like we were talking about with the Terminator, something's not right here. This doesn't seem like the person I know. There's a question. There's not joy. There's curiosity, maybe. There is uh, perplexity. Is this the person? None of that is here. They're, they're not trying to discern whether or not it's Jesus. They are all fully convinced, and they get all excited. They're rejoicing. They're happy. They're having a party because their Lord that they love is alive. And they go from 12 disciples locked in a room to after, the, after Pentecost comes and Jesus anticipates with his breath uh, here in this chapter as he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a, an anticipation of Pentecost. Um, they're changed men. And they live their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. What about James, the brother of Jesus, and Jude? Here are two men who never believed in Jesus during his earthly ministry. They thought he was crazy. Our, our brother's lost his mind. He's, he's spending all his time, uh, you know, ministering to these people. He's skipping meals, and we, we think he's, he's gone crazy. What was it that changed their hearts and minds uh, when Jesus appeared to them alive? <laughs> okay. We, we know our brother. This is our brother. And, and they were completely changed. James became the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And he proclaimed the name of Jesus as a servant of the Christ. Jude proclaimed the name of Jesus. We have a book in the Bible written by Jude. Proclaimed the name of Jesus as a servant of Christ. 
fully convinced. What about Saul of Tarsus, who also saw the risen Christ a little different way? He saw him in his glory from heaven as the light from heaven came down. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goad. Saul fell to his knees, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ because he saw the risen Christ. How do you explain that? Someone who hates the church, who hates Christians, who imprisons them, who has such great zeal against the church, he travels around from city to city to imprison them and put them to death. How do you explain that? The complete 180 of Saul of Tarsus. You see, there's a reason the disciples were filled with joy. Because Jesus really was alive. (laughs) And we know today that he's really alive. Not just because of the historical evidence, though I thank God for it. We know because of the evidence of his changing our lives, many of us who, uh, Jesus has changed my life. Nobody's going to convince me he's not alive. I know. I talked with him this morning, right? Uh, praise, praise the Lord. He is alive. He is working. He is moving. There's hope because we have a risen Savior. Let's pray. Father, Father we thank you for your word. We thank you for the evidence that you've given to us. Lord, you've done everything that needs to be done to convince us, Lord, of the fact that you're real, that you died for sin, and that you rose from the dead on the third day. Help us listen to the testimony you've given. And help us repent and put our trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. And Father, for those of us who are believers, help us rely upon you in everyday life and to have hope and to have faith.